top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker, and we have an excellent show for you today. My colleague Jim Ward will have the second half of his interview with Red Sox prospect Ryan Fitzgerald. And later in the episode, he will give us some great Irish-American baseball history that has connections to rock music and the presidency. I will also be going in-depth into a pair of audio clips from the show The Crack and the Bat on Irish Baseball TV. On that show, Sean Clancy, founder of the Irish-American Baseball Hall of Fame, talks with many of his contacts throughout the game of baseball. To catch full episodes of The Crack and the Bat on Irish Baseball TV, visit irishbaseball.org. Right now, I turn things over to Jim Ward. Thanks, Rick. Recently, I got a chance to sit down with the Red Sox prospect, Ryan Fitzgerald. Ryan is currently having success for Boston's AA affiliate, the Portland Sea Dogs, here in Portland, Maine. To hear the first part of my conversation with the six foot one, 185-pound shortstop, check out episode 14 of the Irish Baseball podcast at irishbaseball.org. Ryan, you played your college baseball at Creighton, and I am sure you had a lot of great coaches and managers along the way to where you are now. What are some of the best pieces of advice you received? Couple, a couple things. I mean, dependable, uh, yeah. consistent, and dependable. I mean, you know, they, a lot of coaches, pretty much every manager I played for, you know, what you're going to get each day. Um, you know, it's not going to, it's never going to, it's never going to be anything crazy, but it's never going to be anything bad. And they know exactly what they're getting, so that's probably the best thing I've ever gotten. Of course, the main goal is to make it to Fenway Park as a member of the Boston Red Sox. The organization has tried to make it easier to adjust to the Green Monster at Fenway, but having your current stadium, Hadlock Field here in Portland, and the AAA Stadium in Worcester, uh, Polar Park, replicate the high left field wall. Have you been to Fenway? Do you feel having that experience with the big left field walls will make it an easier adjustment for you if you were able to climb that ladder to the big leagues? Yeah, uh, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the Worcester field in person. I've seen it on some videos and stuff. But uh, yeah, I've been to Fenway, um, and then obviously playing down at the spring training facility, it's a Fenway replica. So um, I've played a few games there as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's I mean having the monster there is pretty cool. It's it's nice for a lefty who doesn't have too much oppo pop. You can kind of just <laughs> play some wall ball off the monster and get some doubles. <laughs> Speaking of Hadlock Field and Portland, Maine, what is it like playing here in Portland? Uh, it's a lot like playing in Chicago in, uh, in the spring. Uh, it's cold, it's wet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the ball doesn't fly too great. Um, if you're going to hit a home run, it's got to be in the early innings before the sun goes down, but, uh, it's nice. The field's nice. Uh, the fans come out and, uh, they do it, you know, the ground crew does a good job. So, uh, I, I enjoy it. It's, it's a cool place. Most of our listeners don't have a lot of these experiences, so I think they would love to know what it was like to sign your first autograph. Uh, so, I mean, we signed a lot of autographs, like, back in college. Um, we would, you know, we'd have, like, posters made of us, and then we'd have to sit at the table and sign some stuff. But um, the one autograph that I do remember was with the Gary Railcats. Um, it was actually – it was a photograph, which then turned into an autograph. Um, so I hit my first professional home run in uh in walk-off fashion with the rail cats um so obviously when i got to home plate you know everyone mobbed me and got the cooler poured on me and my jersey's ripped off and uh 
this guy in the stands like somehow came down to like the edge of the field and like we were all walking off he's like can I get your picture can I get your picture I was like yeah sure so I'm like sitting there smiling like hair soaked jerseys ripped um and he ended up he was a season ticket holder and we would do like batting practice on the field for season ticket holders at the end of the year so he came out and he took BP and he brought, he brought me the picture framed. He actually brought two of them. I signed one of them for him. And then he brought me a picture framed of me um, soaked and just torn to shreds. So I actually, I, I got that. I still have that picture on my desk and it was just kind of a cool moment that it, it, it kind of came full circle. That is such a cool story and an awesome memento for you to keep from your playing career. What is the best piece of advice that you could pass along to younger athletes trying to make it to the professional level and would you recommend specializing in one sport at an early age or doing it the way you did by playing multiple sports? Yeah, I think playing multiple sports is, is the best thing you can do. Um, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of kids will experience burnout um, at such a young age. And a lot of the different sports that you can play definitely translates into baseball in terms of some of the movements um, and like having certain stability in, in your legs and, and being able to be rotational and have balance and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I definitely would encourage them to play as many sports as they can. But uh, I mean, if they really, really want to pursue baseball, um, I would say to have them ask the question why more. Um, as a kid, I never, I never took the time to say, well, why? Uh, you know, explain it to me. Let me help me understand instead of just being told what to do and um, without any real explanation. Um, that's something I've learned as, as a pro is, is to ask the question why. I ask the question why all the time, and I think my coaches get sick of it. But <laughs> I learn a lot. <laughs> I'm Jim Ward on the Irish Baseball Podcast, and I'm talking with Portland Sea Dog shortstop Ryan Fitzgerald. As I mentioned earlier, Ryan, you played your college baseball at Creighton. How important would you say the entire college experience has been to your career, and are you happy you went that route to get to this point? Yeah, no, I am. I didn't really care for school much, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, <laughs> I went to Creighton more so for baseball than I did for school, but uh, my family's uh, – really into the finance world so uh, my parents are like you're getting a finance degree and that's what I did I got a finance degree um, I always tell my mom mom this is for you <laughs> I gave her my diploma I said this, this is not for me this is for you so I'm, as long as I'm making mom happy that's all that matters but uh, yeah I mean going, going through you know a finance degree and learning learning a lot of different things about uh, the business world is, is definitely going to be helpful at some point in my life. What is the biggest adjustment you have had to make as you have moved from being a kid to being an amateur in college and eventually moving into the professional ranks? Um, yeah, I could take this a lot of ways. Um, it's not fair. Uh, as yeah. a kid, you're kind of told that, uh, hey, you work hard, you know, you do the right things on and off the field, you get good grades and, and this and that, it'll all work out. And this, it's just not the case. Um, I mean, you could do all the wrong things and have it work out. It could go both ways. Um, as you know, the game, the game's not fair. It's, it's, you could, you could hit the ball extremely hard and get out four times in a night, or you could hit the ball, you know, very soft and get four hits. Um, and, and there's a lot of, a lot of politics in this game that uh, you just don't see growing up that um, I wish I knew about and, and handled it, you know, in a better way. Um, you know, back in college, I, uh, you know, my coach, he prevented me from getting drafted. And I talked to college guys all the time, like, hey, make sure your coach, you know, is going to be pushing you to get drafted and get you out of there in three years and not hold on to you. Um, which I know sounds crazy, but but it happens. and It happened to me. So uh, just there's a lot of unknown out there. It's not just about working hard. 
It has been so great having you on the show today, Ryan. When you find yourself with the time, we would love to have you on once again in the future so that our listeners can track your progress through the minor leagues and hopefully to the majors. Definitely. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Jim. That was Portland Sea Dog shortstop Ryan Fitzgerald on the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm Jim Ward. My colleague Rick Becker and I are always finding interesting interviews with people who are either in the game of baseball or fans of the sport. Head to irishbaseball.org for our conversations with scouts, coaches, authors, broadcasters, players, umpires, and many others. I will turn things back over to Rick Becker, who is going to go in-depth into a great audio clip right here on the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thank you so much, Jim. We talk a lot on the show about Irish-American baseball history, so it is great to look at some things happening in the present with some strong possibilities for the future. This is the Irish Baseball Podcast, and I'm Rick Becker. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish-American Baseball Society, and the organization also produces the show, The Crack and the Bat, on Irish Baseball TV. On that show, Sean Clancy, founder of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, talks to the many amazing contacts he has throughout the game. In this clip, Sean talks with former Major League umpire Jim Joyce about a momentous occasion in his career and the career of one of the best to ever play the game. Who was your first ejection? Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, wow. That, that'll, that'll light you up a little bit, won't it? Wow, that, that's so much. Ken Griffey Jr. and I were the very same year rookie class, even though I had been going up and down before that. Griff uh, Jr. had never been to the big leagues except 1989 that, that year. <clears throat> and I had been going up since 86. And um, it was, as a matter of fact, it's kind of a cute story behind it, but um, it was in June. I believe it was in June. I'm not real sure about this. I looked it up on retro sheet. I'm not real sure of the date, but uh, Junior came up to the plate. He took three fastballs right down the middle. And I'm not talking about uh, painting on, on the corners or anything. I'm talking all white right down the middle. <clears throat> and on strike three, my, my natural strike three, and he turned around and he dropped an F-bomb on me. And I went, really? Get the F-bomb out of here. Jim LaFever was the manager, and he came out, and he said, oh, Jimmy, you can't eject the kid. You can't eject the kid. And I said, let me ask you something. Can I say this to you? And I told him what he said, and he goes, no. I said, then we're done. We're even. And he was my first ejection. He did not get ejected again for the next 12 years. That's impressive. That's pretty impressive. So Junior gets elected to the Hall of Fame. I had go on retro sheet for some reason. I don't even know why. Oh, it was to get the date. It was to get the date of the ejection. And I, I didn't even know this, but he was my first ejection in the big leagues. So I text message Matt Walcott, our clubhouse attendant in Seattle, if I can get a message to Junior. Right. To congratulate him for making making it to the world, uh, to make it to the Hall of Fame. All of a sudden, I get a phone call from his agent. And he says, I understand you would like to get a message to Junior. I said, I'd love to. I said, because you know what? I didn't know this until today, but Junior was my first ejection in the big leagues. We came to the big leagues together on the, at the same year, our first contracted year. And I said, I'd just like to congratulate him uh, for making it to the Hall of Fame. I don't have my phone with me, but I have one 
voice message on it. It's from Junior saying, thank you very much, Jimmy. All right, that is such a cool moment. We don't really think about it a lot now, and I think a lot of our younger listeners would never have realized this, but Ken Griffey Jr. really was bigger than life in those first few years he was in the big leagues. No doubt kicking him out of a ball game would definitely set you up for some booze, even if the Mariners were on the road. He was such an incredible draw. You just wanted to see what he would do next. Honestly, Griffey's seasons in Seattle remind me a lot of Shohei Otani right now with the Angels. So many of the people in attendance are just there to see this one guy perform, and it feels like he's going to do something special each and every night. You hate to see players like that forced to take early showers. The fact that Griffey made sure to return that phone call was a sign that he really is a class act. All right, this next clip is my absolute favorite. Sean Clancy talks with former MLB slugger Sean Casey about any memorabilia he's collected throughout his career. But his favorite item actually takes us off of the diamond and into the world of rock. I got 180 bats I collected over the years at first base. Same way, I got 180 bats. I think I have like 400 balls. I'd say my prized possession. One night I was hanging out with, with, with Vetter back in 2013 and uh we were we were just um hanging out at the clementi museum Dwayne reader in uh you know my buddy Dwayne in uh in pittsburgh and uh they were pearl jam was playing friday night in pittsburgh and this is tuesday night and uh ed was like hey what's what do you want to hear friday night i'm like and i start rattling off a couple songs you know love to hear my favorite song they sing is unemployable so I was like, man, I'd love you to, I'd love to hear unemployable. You guys don't play that a lot, you know? And so he's like, okay. So he pulled out a little pick. It was like a Pearl Jam pick. And he started writing in a Sharpie around all the things, all the songs that I had recommended. So I'm like, ah, oh, it's cool, blah, blah, blah. So Friday night when the show goes, you know, Ed plays all the songs I had recommended. And then after the show, when I went backstage, he handed me the pick. He's like, hey, here's the, here's that pick I put on Tuesday night. So I just, I put together like a Pearl Jam collage, but that it's the smallest thing I probably have in my whole collection, but it's just the story behind it is what I like. In the interest of full disclosure, I am a gigantic Pearl Jam fan. I have Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder concert posters here in my recording studio. I've seen the band over 20 times and Eddie a number of times solo. In fact, the last time I saw Eddie Vedder perform was as part of the Innings Festival in Tempe, Arizona, that was put on by Major League Baseball to coincide with the start of the 2019 spring training schedule. While Sean Casey, who you just heard in that clip, was being interviewed by MLB Network on one of the side stages, Eddie Vedder came out for a surprise interview as well. There were appearances from Jim Tomey, Cole Hamels, Joe Madden, and others, along with some great musicians. Vedder is actually pretty famous for his love of baseball, especially the Chicago Cubs. Pearl Jam has played shows at Safeco in Seattle, Wrigley in Chicago, and Fenway in Boston. Eddie also sang Take Me Out to the Ball Game for the Cubs during the seventh inning stretch of Game 5 of the 2016 World Series. To check out more from Sean Clancy on The Crack in the Bat Show on Irish Baseball TV, head to irishbaseball.org. Let's turn things back over to Jim Ward right now with some Irish-American baseball history. Thanks, Rick. Once again, I'm Jim Ward. 
The history of the Irish in the United States is intrinsically linked with the city of Boston, and that history is often spilled over onto the baseball diamond. Spilled over is the perfect verbiage to use when describing Michael T. Nuff said McGreevy and the Royal Rooters. Before they played at Fenway Park, and even before they were known as the Red Sox, the Boston Americans played their home games at the Huntington Avenue grounds. McGreevy was the owner of the third base saloon, which served as home base for the Royal Rooters before they would make their way to the ballpark singing the words to a song from the Broadway musical The Silver Slipper. The musical didn't manage to run for even a half a year, but the song Tessie became a part of the Red Sox lore to this very day. The Royal Rooters would find their usual spots on Duffy's Cliff and shout the lyrics of the song over and over towards the opposing teams. Pittsburgh Pirates shortstop Honus Wagner was particularly targeted with loud renditions of the anthem during the 1903 World Series. To a man, the mostly Irish members of the Rooters would claim that this heckling played part in the Americans rallying from a three games to one deficit to win four straight and the series. During the 1912 World Series, the Royal Rooters became so irate when they came to see that their usual spots along Duffy's Cliff had been sold to other fans that a small riot broke out before the first pitch. Mounted police were needed to calm the situation so that baseball could be played. While Nutsed McGreevy was the unquestioned leader of the Royal Rooters, a high-ranking member of the group was John Francis Honey Fitz Fitzgerald. Honey Fitz served as Boston's mayor and served in the United States House of Representatives, but is most likely best known now as the maternal grandfather of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Prohibition shut down the third base saloon in the 1920s, and McGreevy donated his baseball memorabilia collection to the Boston Public Library. At some point in the late 1970s, early 1980s, a large portion of that memorabilia was stolen and has yet to be recovered. Boston-based rock band the Dropkick Murphys have always been in touch with their Irish-American heritage and the history of Boston, revitalized the memory of the Royal Rooters in 2004 with an updated version of Tessie. With lyrics that now distinctly mention McGreevy, and the Royal Rooters, Tessie became an anthem as the Red Sox went on to their historic curse-ending run to the 2004 World Series Championship. Much like Tessie helped the team rally from a three games to one deficit in that 1903 World Series, 101 years later, the Red Sox were forced to a rally from a three games to one deficit in the American League Championship Series against the New York Yankees. I'm Jim Ward. And for more information on Irish American baseball history and to learn about great Irish Americans like the Royal Rooters and Nutsed McGreevy, or even to become a member of the Irish American Baseball Society, why not head over to our website at irishbaseball.org. I will now turn things back over to my colleague Rick Becker to conclude this episode of the Irish Baseball Podcast. For Portland Sea Dogs shortstop Ryan Fitzgerald, Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame founder Sean Clancy, former Major League umpire Jim Joyce, former Major League slugger Sean Casey, and my colleague Jim Ward. I'm Rick Becker, and this has been Episode 15 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.